Hi, good morning, good morning, good afternoon. How are you? It's uh, Gary Michaels, Ernie Tannis, uh, Jeremy Wright, and a uh, very special guest uh, who flew all the way in from Washington, D.C. And Case Ganim, I'll be picking him up on the telephone in a second. Ernie, I thank you for... Uh, your patience. I. You probably wonder what happened to the music there, right? Oh uh, yes, <laughs> it was my technical expertise. I asked Nivaldo. I said, "You might want to hang in here in case I mess things up." He says, "Oh no, you've been doing this for years. You know what you're doing." Well, it's a moment. It was like for me, it was like a moment of silence. It was a very prayerful moment. It was wonderful. Thank you. I'm glad you uh, you feel that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then, then they're bowing to you here. Our guests are bowing to you. Yeah, listen, while you introduce our guests, uh, Ernie, I'm going to get to the phone and uh, contact Case, and uh, we're going to have an interesting roundtable discussion today, right? It's going to be uh, phenomenal. We have some very, very wonderful guests on a wonderful subject. It's a tough subject, but it's a current subject. Nothing more contemporary than the title, uh, From Inner Peace to Global Peacemaking. It's a title that our guest Beverly Britton um, has been working on for years, which is really neat because for me it's been world peace through inner peace, so it certainly enriches it. We have here with us Beverly. Thank you for being here, Beverly. Thank you very much. And we have a uh, return visit here from Jeremy Wright. Uh, he started a show with Case Ganim uh, not long ago, uh, August 24th. It was the first in a series of the economics of conflict, and I think we're treating this as the second of that series, and we're going to have a few more before the end of the year. Is that right, Jeremy? I hope so. That's wonderful. And um, I'm going to be introducing our um, our three guests. I'm going to start with Case, who's going to be on the line with us uh, soon. Are you there, Case? Uh, yes, I am. Dr. Case Ganim, it's wonderful to you, for you to join us again. I'm going to be... Uh, Reminding listeners about you, you've been on this show many times, you're well known in the community, but it's always good for the record to uh, remind people that you're a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Ottawa, director of neurophysiology and sleep lab at the National Defense Medical Center, and the associate director of sleep lab at the Ottawa Hospital, and past president of many organizations, both medical, um, the Arab-Canadian University graduates, uh, Arab professionals, um, part of the Canadian medical team. Uh, originator of Potluck for Peace, and you do poetry, which people love, and you also are going to be doing a show on Chin Radio, Case. Uh, would you like to comment on that, too? Yeah, sure. We're going to start a program called uh, Dialogue with Diversity, and I'm very thrilled that uh, Chin Radio has uh, given us the opportunity to do that. And what we'll do is uh, interview uh, groups uh, in, in Ottawa from uh, different countries, from different cultures, so on the 6th of October, we start with uh, Bang, with the Irish community, and already uh, news has spread like wildfire amongst the Irish community here that we are going to do that. Well, that's very good. I guess there'll be a lot of shamrocks in the Chin <laughs> studio, I guess. Shamrocks and shillelaghs. <laughs> well, we're going to have uh, four guests. Uh, three of them uh, will be talking about different aspects, about history, the tourist industry in Ireland about the culture, about the music and the language and so on. And we'll also, one of them is going to be actually playing a piece of music. Oh, so we, I think we'll need more microphones, uh, Gary. I think we, uh, <laughs> you mean more microphones for Irish people? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. I should mention uh, every one of our guests are very busy and Dr. Case Gannon and his wife, Al, are leaving tonight for a trip for quite a few weeks and, uh, Thank you for taking the time. Also, at your house the other night, we had a very stimulating dinner conversation with our guests in the studio here. You and Val, your gracious hostess, and we had uh, Vesna Scott, and uh, that sort of segues for me, Vesna Scott... Um, uh, was with uh, Val Scott. It was through Val Scott in the late 1980s who was with the Canadian Federation of Labour, led me there, and that's how I met Jeremy Wright. And um, I hadn't seen Vesna in many years, so it was a nice surprise guest to have. And, and it was nice to bump into Jeremy again recently at the um, Parliament Hill a few weeks ago with you, Case, and we've been to his house too. And uh, we have with us again Jeremy. This is the second in the series of Economics of Conflict. Um, Jeremy was born in the UK in 1937 and grew up in England. He studied many different things from philosophy to economics. He worked at the United Nations in different places. Uh, we was with the banknote printing company in the UK. Came to Canada in 67, attracted by Expo 67, a place to stand and a place to grow. He was with the Federal Department of Forestry and Rural Development, worked in the Quebec and the, the Comprehensive Development Plan. Was in the Privy Council office, a senior economist. Uh, from 73 to 80, joined industry, trade, and commerce. 
uh, was a manager of uh, different uh, organizations and programs. In 1985, he was seconded to the Canadian Federation of Labor as their senior economist, and that's where we met. And he took early retirement, and there's no such word as retirement for Jeremy Wright uh, from the Federal Service, and uh, Freedom 55, he calls it. And he devotes his time to social and environmental interests, including things all over the world, sustainable development, preservation of democracy, so on. He's a free thinker. He calls himself a recovering economist. He's been on many media, and he's here with us again. Thanks for your time, Jeremy. And I think you have another event coming up, too, if you'd like to mention it. Uh, yes, I do. I, there, there are a couple coming up. Um, as you probably know from the papers, on Tuesday, uh, sorry, on Monday, Monday of, of next week is the fifth anniversary of uh, of nine one one and the thing with the, with the peace towers. And I just like to uh, uh, make a short announcement that at uh, St Paul University, and it will be opened by Vern uh, Redekop from their conflict resolution program. Uh, there, there will be an event marking the uh, uh, the fifth anniversary of the tragedy of nine eleven. Yes, uh, and uh, so anybody, it's free. And if anybody'd like to come along that night, it's uh, it's seven p.m. at St. Paul University on Main Street. On Main Street, that's wonderful. And all all are welcome, and uh, and and so forth. So that's the that's that's the first event up. Wonderful. Well, thanks for mentioning that, and it's a, it's very timely. And there's going to be a lot of events around that, and it's all about the issues of our. Uh, Peacemaking, and I'm so excited now to in, uh, introduce Beverly Britton. I mean, we can spend a whole hour just on that. I've come to know her this week um, at the event. Plus, we met with Richard Jackman and his wife Julie Demeray from the McLaren House, whom you're going to meet again today. And that's a nice connection. And my wife Yumna is looking forward to meeting you tonight as you come to our house. And my sister Sharon. Brenna Marwan will be there. So we're going to have a nice discussion about that. And we're all going to come out ahead. And we're going to be at Vesna Scotts, I think, Friday night with her instructors. So there's sure. a lot of, so listeners know, there's a lot of like continued interaction and strength in the, the people getting to know each other. And let me give you something about Beverly Britton. And you're going to learn more about her as she speaks to us about her own path and her life journey. Um, she's founder and president of Lifeline Network for Peace. You can reach her at Lifeline4, the number 4, peace at yahoo.com from the University of South California, graduate of interdisciplinary studies. Carolina. 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 Oh, South Carolina. Thank yes. you. See, everybody's listening. Uh, and she's been involved with, uh, including anthropology, religion, biofeedback research, a very, very interesting area. Let her talk more about that. What the connection she made that I found really wonderful is like a plug in a socket was very electrifying about um, conflict resolution, stress management and with the body, mind and spirit and uh, she'll be getting into that including uh, stress disorders. She founded Lifeline Network for Peace in 1984 to foster interfaith dialogue and peace building with Christian, Muslim and Jewish called the Abrahamic Face. And thanks to your colleague in the States, I would like to announce um, that uh, she's involved with uh, 280 groups that are in 80 countries. And Gary Michaels, you'll be glad to know, I think a few hundred thousand people got an email last night about this show, and maybe one or two of them might be listening in. And to those constituents, well, we welcome you to the show and are grateful that um, one of your members, and uh, Beverly Britton, is here and sharing this with you. We are, uh, uh, we are mindful, of course, that uh, with the World Wide Web, people are listening from who knows where, Ernie. And uh, again, for those who may be uh, tuning in for the first time, we welcome you to uh, Chin Radio in Ottawa, uh, the multicultural voice of Canada's capital at www.chinradio.com. And we thank you for uh, being part of this program. And uh, uh, Ernie, this is, uh, this is wonderful. I just had to mention that because we have to put in this. I'm a shameless, uh, shameless self-promoter. You know that. And I just had to plug the station again. <laughs> No problem. Well, thanks to you and the station, this show exists, and uh, this is our 84th show, so that's wonderful. <clears throat> Among many, many other things, she founded the Children's Peace Quilt on 1994 after witnessing a marketplace massacre in Sarajevo. Uh, she's been involved in children's peace projects, conducted workshops um, at many, many places, including Bosnia, Ireland, Turkey, Cyprus, Egypt. Um, she says she has a special place in her heart for my wife's homeland where my father's from, uh, Lebanon, and uh, thank you for that. Croatia um, uh, and is here in Canada, and she was involved with Istanbul, and she has so much t to offer. She's been interviewed on CNN with Larry King Live, and um, that woman that's on the CNN Live. Well, Christiana Mampour, yeah. we did several shows. And all those, CNN, in, all those CNN interviews were simply to prepare for this show today. So <laughs> I thought so. Uh, uh, let me just um, uh, mention one thing, and then I'm going to uh, lead in to uh, give uh, the time over to uh, Beverly. 
Um, I was looking at the headlines today, uh, Jeremy Case and Beverly, and I was looking at the headline about all the things that are happening in the world, and it made me think of our first show, Gary, Trust. Yep. Who do you trust in the world? And everything is like, who do you trust most? And um, you know that story about you go to a crossroads and there's one person always lies and one person always tells the truth, and you only can ask one question because one road leads to death and one road leads to life, and there's only one question you can ask. And sometimes I feel we're in that place. Who do we ask the question to? Who do we trust? Or so the answer to that dilemma, of course, is you ask either one of them, what would the other person say and do the opposite? You'll get the right role. But <laughs> I'm not, not sure uh, if we're at that stage. But let me just mention one thing um, before I talk about the Helen Prize. On January 22nd, 2004, uh, Beverly wrote a beautiful piece called Hearing Your Song, Expressions of Soul, with the lifeline about a song in Africa, a song that people use from their birth to their death, and that everyone knows your song. And they sing it to you when you have forgotten it. It's so beautiful. They sing their song. The tribe recognizes the correction for antisocial behavior is not punishment. It is love and remembrance of identity. When you recognize your own song, you have no desire or need to do anything to hurt another. And she ends with, you may feel a little warbly at the moment, but so of all the great singers. Just keep singing and you'll find your way home. She's going to help us find our way home. And one of the things she did... Um, which is not on her CV, but I was able to find out, was the first Helen Prize awarded in International Women's Day at Concordia University in 1998. And um, with that introduction, I, I'm so honored to turn this over to you, Beverly. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I just wanted to be very clear about the Helen Prize that a number of us were nominated for, us, for it. And then when we came together, we um, voted to uh, select the one that should win the prize. And it was um, a wonderful woman doing extraordinary work here among the indigenous population. I'm sorry I don't remember her name right now, but uh, it was an extraordinary experience. There's a wonderful program at Concordia in uh, Montreal. Um, in talking about what brings me to this journey, my um, bio really begins with um, a near-death experience. I had cancer when I was 23. And had several surgeries, and during the latter, the last one, I uh, clinically died. And um, it really instructs uh, to understand about me and my journey. I um, have for years never talked about it, but it is um, it is the loom that I weave the threads of my life on. And I was uh, taken into complete total love. Uh, the classic down the tunnel into bright light, um, and the bright light was complete total love. It was not, uh, there was no separation. It was like two mists coming together and being totally, completely enveloped in it. And I understood instantaneously that this love is eternal. There is no beginning and there is no end, and we are all connected in it. And we are put on this earth for a very short time to live that love among each other. We know what to do. Unless one is a sociopath, one understands how to love. And it's very, very uncomplicated um, in searching for the answers to live the golden rule, to live the beatitudes. And um, if we're looking for people to solve problems, just look in the mirror because it really begins with each of us. So the other thing that is very important is that I was also shown what hell is and essentially that we create our own hell. Um, that which we perpetrate on earth that causes harm and um, pain and agony, um, we are made to experience from the victims, from our victims' point of experience. And, and uh, it can be just for a brief time or it can be for eternity. So I just um, find comfort that knowing what Hitler is going through. Um, and we need to understand that, um, that everything that we do with every breath, um, we have a choice to live it with love and be that with each other. Um, and if ever there was a time on the planet where we need to be understanding that, it is, uh, it is now. Would you want me to, um, I had read, yes, I had please. written this, um, just looking at your newspapers here, you know, I spent a lot of time in war zones, and um, I must say that I experienced um, also the uh, uh, interactions with Canadian peacekeepers who were really extraordinary in the field, and um, a number of them, and um, seeing the caskets of uh, more beloveds coming home now, you know, in the States, they don't even let us have the photographs of 
the flag drape caskets because it makes people question things. And I hope that Canadians are questioning things because um, this is um, uh, just a terrible, terrible loss. And we have to really look at why are we doing this. In 1999, I was sitting at my computer in absolute tears. I don't even remember which horror was happening then, but um, I uh, just poured out my soul um, into the computer and began with a um, a brief interview that was done with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who was a super macho, wonderful Latin American um, writer who uh, won the Nobel Prize for Literature. So he won um, for using words exquisitely, and he was asked in early 1990s, the title of that I wrote this is um, Peace will prevail when and he was asked what should humankind um, aim to accomplish in the coming decades when asked this question by time magazine nobel prize winner for literature gabriel garcia marquez replied the only new idea that could save humanity in the 21st century is for women to take over the management of the world take a deep breath i believe (laughs) that male hegemony has squandered an opportunity of 10,000 years. We men have belittled and ridiculed feminine intuition, and on the other hand, we have historically sanctified our ideologies, almost all of them absurd and abominable. The masculine power structure has proved that it cannot impede the destruction of the environment because it is incapable of overcoming its own interests. For women, on the other hand, preservation of the environment is a genetic vocation. The reversal of powers is a matter of life or death. And he's talking about really bringing us back to balance. So I commented, this is not a new idea. A precedent was set 10,000 years ago in Chital Hayuk, on near present-day Konya in Turkey, an agrarian society of over 20,000 people administered by the women. It appears to have been a completely peaceful society. There is no evidence of weapons of war in the society or words denoting war in their language. The major figure in their primary, t- is in their primary temple is that of a woman seated in a birthing chair giving birth while two leopards stand beside her supporting her. A grid work of hands adorn the wall with palms turned outward with um, striations between them denoting an exchange of energy and the translation is healing hands. When all of the women of the world decide that the lives of our children, our husbands, our fathers and brothers will no longer be sacrificed to the horrors and greed of war, peace will prevail. When women of the world decide that billions should be spent on educating our children, not killing them through war and neglect, peace will prevail. When women claim their rightful place of inclusion in parliaments, policymaking, and peace-building processes, peace will prevail. When women of the world decide that peaceful coexistence can be co-created through love, Respectful listening, communication, understanding, empathy, sharing resources, and compromise, along with the men, peace will again prevail on this earth. All of our spiritual traditions tell us that we women and men are all capable of co-creating peace when we all decide to just do it. That's beautiful. And uh, along with the men is a nice connection for all the men and women listening. I always wonder, it depends what, whose womb you're born into and to what position you take. And I'm wondering, with that uh, beautiful philosophy, um, and you talked about the, um, the peacemaking, which is both uh, in our way we problem solve and our way we have our health. I'm wondering if, uh, Jeremy and Case, before we complete this segment, if you would like to comment from your own perspective from these themes that have been expressed here so far um, how you would like to add for listeners who want to as I believe this show tries to do is listeners leave with some practical life skill or tool they can take and also they don't feel so helpless in such a global environment and taking these themes I'm wondering uh, Jeremy if you would like to start okay yes Uh, just a couple of uh, quick thoughts 
Uh, first of all, love is not just a feminine concept. There's a lot of men that love too. Yes. So that's the first thing I would say. Yes. Uh, the second thing I would say to that is that if you look at a, a pine cone, a pine cone, if you, it's, uh, it has two spirals on it, one going clockwise, the other one going anticlockwise. And one of the spirals represents the energy of Father Son, and the other spiral coming up in the other direction represents the, uh, um, the power of Mother Earth. Now, if you have too much Father Sky and not enough Mother Earth. Mother Earth gets crisps, gets crisped, um, and there is no life. And if you look carefully at the fir cone, you find that it's only when those spirals cross together in harmony that the seed is created. And I've looked at that for a while, and I come, have come to the conclusion, as Beverly's just said, that this is a matter of balance. It's, uh, it's a matter of balance, it's a matter of cooperation, it's a matter of love. And... Uh, uh, we should all pay huge attention to what uh, Beverly has said because that is the way ahead. Yes, and each seed could be like a, from an acorn does an oak tree doth grow. And we have another acorn on the phone here, Case Canham, <laughs> Dr. Canham. Um, maybe from your own perspective, would you like to add some um, the points here that into these themes? Yeah, well, I'd like to uh, talk about uh, how it, uh, affects the us personally as an individual uh, and also uh, society in general. And I like uh, the statement. I think it was made uh, possibly by uh, Colonel Drapeau, uh, uh, whom you interviewed uh, a week ago, yes. when he said that uh, you know when you look at the resources that are put into war, it is really using man's best to do man's worst. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that expression very much. And then. He talked about uh, how uh, we, as individuals, seem to have uh, war in our genes, and he talked about uh, how we are territorial and we have uh, capitalistic uh, tendencies and we love power and influence and vanity and all that. And all these things are actually true. Uh, and if you really want to sum them into one word, I would put them all into one word called greed, you know, mm -hmm. because it's fine to be territorial. You have to have your own territory. You have to be able to survive and eat. You have to have some money. You have to. You know, everybody loves uh, some power and influence. They want at least respect. And uh, we are vain in many ways. But it's the degree to which we uh, take the, all these things, uh, which then... Uh, really is tantamount to greed. And when you get greed, you, it has to be at the expense of someone else. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you kind of encroach on the territory and uh, wealth or, or possession or the freedom of other people. So that, that's at the level of the individual. And then the, the problem also is really when we talk about all these things, we forget that all the, uh, most of the time, we are really talking about those people who run the show. And the people who run the show are not the individual in the street, because unfortunately, the individual in the street has very little power. It is people who are in government who found themselves there with our acquiescence, because we kind of uh, elected them there or allowed them to be elected. And I, uh, I, I remember a statement by uh, someone actually called uh, Erkanan. Sounds uh, like a Jewish name. And he said, you know, people speak in our name and they do terrible things in our name. And they send us to do these terrible things. And as long as they can uh, continue to do so, they will keep doing it. So if there is one thing, he says, uh, that he learned, it is that if you don't say no to these people, you are actually saying yes. In other words, you are acquiescing. You are allowing the status quo to continue to occur. And I believe that we all, each one of us, has to stand up and be counted. And whenever and wherever there's the opportunity to change that, we should do so, however small that step might be. Well, that's wonderful. It really um allows each of us to feel like the ripple that can become the wave to wash away unresolved conflict from the shores of injustice. These themes have practical application on our daily lives 
as we've seen, we will go far with ADR. And, and we're talking about birth and before we uh, encroach any further on the time here and turn it over to Gary Michaels for our first break. Um, you made me think, Beverly, when you talked about the children that um, these ideas is like giving birth. They're easy to conceive, hard to deliver, but well worth the labor. 12 noon, Wednesday, September 20th, is the first program with Luke Barrick and Gary Michaels on Chin Radio. And Luke, I'm really looking forward to it. I know Pierre Polivare is going to be our first guest, and we're going to talk about the Accountability Act on that particular program. But in ensuing shows, we're going to have an opportunity for people to call in and ask questions about various laws. Absolutely, Gary. We'll be taking calls from general public regarding family law, estates law, civil law, litigation, personal injuries. We'll do the whole gamut. Perfect. I look forward to it. Luke Barrick. Gary Michaels, and various guests on Chin Radio 97.9. Are you a college or university student? The Canada Millennium Scholarship Foundation works with the Ontario government to help students pay for school. The foundation has distributed over $638 million in Millennium bursaries in Ontario since 1999. Just check the appropriate box on the OSEP application to be considered. For information about the Foundation and its programs, visit www.millenniumscholarships.ca. Hi, this is Cheryl. Listen to us weekday mornings from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Hi, what about me? Oh, hey, Wally would be there too each morning on Caribbean Exposure, Chin Radio 97.9 FM. Listening to Chin Radio's uh, Cross Cultural Talk program at 97.9 with Gary Michaels. My co host is Ernie Tannis. Our very special studio guests are Beverly Britton and Jeremy Wright. And our phone guest this afternoon is Dr. Case Gannam. And I uh, just wanted to, uh, to pass this comment along, uh, Beverly. Uh, you, uh, you run the comparison uh, between men and women, and it's the guys that are causing all the problems. And I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe Hillary Clinton's time has come, for goodness sake. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, um, I think there's a, a, a balancing uh, a, a thought here that can that can work based on what you just said before we get into the second segment, Beverly. Did you want to comment on that? Uh? On well, I know Hillary Clinton, and I was at the White House volunteering in media affairs for five years, and I got to see things from the inside. And I think that she's an extraordinary human being, and um, in a very, very difficult situation in the political arena, that is incredibly, incredibly vicious. Um, my hope is that, um, and I email her quite often, <laughs> encouraging her to stand up and speak for um, the whole truth, because um, now is absolutely the time, and we just cannot um, run with the pack anymore. But um, you know, from your mouth to God's ears, I think she'd make a fabulous president. Wonderful, and I think. Um um, uh, uh, Gary Michaels was being facetious because uh, I know you weren't saying necessarily that the men the men um, that we have to be more inclusive. We have to be more balanced in the inclusion of all genders, all species, all peoples. That's the metaphor I took from what you said. Well, it's absolutely true. But when you look at, I was at the White House, as I said, in many other places, the State Department and so forth. And you look who is sitting around the table, and it's 99% men, perhaps. And, um, you know, this show, it's at its core, is about conflict resolution, about negotiation, about let's do that first instead of going in and killing everybody. And um, there is a balance that Brent women do bring to the table. Um, and it's absolutely crucial, I think, that we've seen that in the Middle East when um, Hanan Ashrawi would be at the table and doing the peace brokering um, and trying to settle things in, um, you know, West Bank, Gaza with Israel and so on. And I, who I am blessed to know her as well. And I've seen it over and over again. I've been in war zones. We're trying to negotiate access, bringing in convoys and so forth. And when you have the balance of men and women at the table together, extraordinary things can happen. There is this... 
there is this thing as Dr. Case was saying that was is very very pertinent. There is an there is almost an addiction to this power thing, and if I had not already known it after working with thousands of uh, military veterans, I certainly saw it being in the war zones myself. And there is this this primordial thrill that takes over um, that I just um, uh, so discernment. Um, and uh, thinking about what is for the common good kind of goes out the window. And I'm afraid that that faction has pretty much taken over what's uh, running um, my beloved country in the United States. Well, uh, that kind of common ground that we're looking for, and I um, I want to get Jeremy to to, um, reshape the um, what he said in the first show because it's going to fit in about war zones. We're going to get into that in this second segment. Uh, but when the um, when I introduced you about hearing your song, in fact, you for, forwarded this. The author is might be not known, but I think when, when we, we forward something and share, we all become co-authors. And when I hear about a song, I think about a choir or an orchestra. And if anybody's out of tune, the whole thing's out of tune. And um, and it makes me think that that's the kind of harmony we all got to be in tune and what I believe in conflict resolution is that those that are out of tune should be exposed and there are a small percentage of them and the vast majority of people want to be in tune with the song and it gets back to the reality of what Dr. K said about greed and economics, what are the economics of conflict as we try to put this now we're in this context to some current affairs i'd like to talk about any current affairs any guests would like to talk about i particularly would like to see comments about the middle east i don't want to forget to say one other thing to thank beverly for is tonight in washington at the national cathedral the former president iran is speaking and um, she was going to go to that and she stayed here for this show thank you for that (laughs) so jeremy uh would you would like to uh restate some of the foundational pieces of the economics of conflict. Then I'm going to ask Beverly and, and Case and yourself to uh, apply these things, these themes to current events. Okay, uh, very quickly, just on the last show, um, I suggested that if you look at the uh, uh, the baseline of what economics is really all about, it's a home concept. It comes from uh, it comes from the Greek oikos, meaning uh, house or home. And the, the idea of having a global economy is so far out of whack with the initial meaning of economics, it's not funny. It's, uh, it's been uh, basically taken over. And so you can see instantly that there is a huge conflict of interest between uh, those people that uh, crea- want to create a global power base, a global economy for the, for the interests of the few at the, at the expense of the many. So uh, when you look at it carefully, uh, and this is uh, you, if I'm invited back to do a few more episodes. Oh, um, one of the things I'd like to get into at that point is uh, uh, to suggest that, that military conflict is either um, the only way that the uh, power-hungry and the really greedy can, uh, um, can take over um, what doesn't basically belong to them. Mm. And even the planet doesn't belong to them, I would, I would claim. But it usually arises when there's conflicts of values and conflicts of interest. And I think the, the, uh, the whole business of conflicts of values, I mean, between greed and love, to be quite specific, um, is something that, we, that needs to come out into the open and we have to look at the advantages uh, for our kids and our grandkids uh, to follow the path of love rather than the path of greed. Yeah. And uh, in future shows, I'd like to look at that in a little more detail. Um, uh, let's see, one other thing. Yeah, I've always, uh, on a sort of slightly lighter note for a second, uh, I'm a great fan of Yogi Berra, <laughs> I think. Uh, um, and, uh, when you come to a crossroads, take it. That's right. Uh, when you, uh, that's right. That was, uh, that was one of his saying. And the, the other one, which, I'm, uh, which I also love very much, is... Uh, when you come to the end of the road, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, you gotta love Yogi Berra and Andy Rooney. They're both they're both wonderful people to listen to. Yeah, but the, coming to the end of the road, you see, we are coming to the end of an era at the moment, and the end of the era is cheap oil and um, uh, the overuse and overconsumption of the planet. So we're going to have to rethink, rethink outside the box. And what Beverly is saying is the sure. And, and only road ahead and as far as I can see 
Yes, and the roadmap that we need is this kind of roadmap. And if I may, Jeremy, to uh, unless you've got more there, because I wanted to, um, I'll mention something, and if you want to carry on, please do. And then I want to bring Case Gannam in, and then go back to Beverly in terms of tying in the economics of conflict on these themes, also to the idea of our health. It's the medical health, and of course, war and everything creates disabilities, creates bad health psychologically, emotionally, and gets people to sort of get into a group think in terms of stress management. And 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 Case uh, Ganem talked about that in the last show. So, Jeremy, if you want to complete uh, some of the fundamental principles, Doctor Case, I'd like you to uh, weigh in on the um, tying in in terms of these uh, questions of economics and health. And, and and Beverly, if you don't mind, then to bring in your other piece, which is really valuable in stress management, and comment on. Um, uh, on the Middle East, uh, there's something about that which one guest said is that one of the the symptom. And in medical terms, you go to the symptom um, and pass it to the disease. Jeremy, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. For example, I think it was Dr. Reed Moskowitz from the New York Center for Stress Disorders uh, who said that st- basically it's stress that is responsible for at least 90% of all hospital admissions mm-hmm. in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And stress arises because we've failed to resolve the conflicts of values and the conflicts of, uh, of interest. And it directly affects our health, our well-being, our cheerfulness, our homes, our families, the whole issue of domestic violence, if Beverly gets into that later yes. on. We had a show here about domestic violence by both men and women against each other. Yeah, And I'd like to stress that um, in the few minutes we have left, um, to capture all the thoughts here and um, if I could um, go to you, uh, Case Ganem, for a couple minutes on on this aspect, on the economics of conflict and health, and it, how that affects the human family, uh, just for a couple of minutes, and I'm going to ask Beverly to uh, put it in context of some current events. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, the last show I uh, kind of quoted a few uh, stats about uh, military spending and how that military spending could have been redirected into more worthwhile uh, endeavors. And one of the figures that I still remember is that uh, the uh, war in Iraq has cost so far uh, something like $240 billion. And uh, this uh, researcher had uh, worked out that this amount of money could have uh, paid for all the uh, health insurance uh, or at least health spending on the 45 million Americans who have uh, absolutely no health insurance in the United States. And not only that, but also to uh, pay for uh, all the uh, teachers uh, for, uh, you know, a certain number of years and to provide uh, clean water to the third world for the next uh, three years and to pay for um, transportation and so on. In other words, uh, you know, without uh, remembering all the details of the numbers, the point is that military spending is uh, takes a huge chunk of our uh, income, of our taxes, and uh, it is. Uh, don't let anyone tell you that military spending is there to protect the country or to, uh, you know, for patriotic reasons, because we want to defend ourselves against all these people who want to kill us and those people who hate us. I think that primarily uh, military spending uh, in this uh, this magnitude is really there to uh, brought on by profit and greed. Once again, we come to the word greed and uh, profit making. And so, and and we we have to keep saying that until as many people as possible uh, hear the message. Yes, and uh, you know, and uh, one person at a time and the cooperators meet each other. When you talk about profit, I think the profit with the F, but we have to balance it with the profit with the PH because that's the fundamental basic value system we have to work from. And um, and I'm glad you raised the, the it in that context because, you know, the phrase that came to me recently was, uh, you know, war is good business for the few, but peace is good business, better business for the many. Um, and Beverly, mm-hmm. if you could take a few minutes before we go to a, a break and we're going to end up in our third segment with some visioning statements by our three great guests here. Uh, Beverly, if you want to pick up on some of this and if you are moved to do so, to, you know, maybe put it in context of some events in the world or in the Middle East in particular. Well, I was... Um my first experience in um, a war zone was in Bosnia, and um, my first trip was I was there for the Marketplace Massacre, and I was in the emergency room. Um, 3,500 staff, no electricity, no water, running. 
um, very little anesthesia, and 68 people were killed and over 500 were wounded that day, and I saw hell. And um, But going in and then subsequent seven trips and doing all kinds of work in various arenas, I realized that I had never been asking myself the prime question was, who is making the money? QE Bono, who benefits? And we have to be asking that. And if every woman in the world would be asking this question, I'd like to recommend three books that would help enormously. Please. One of them is written by David Corton, and it's called When Corporations Rule the World. Uh, the second book is by John Perkins. It's called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, in which he talks about how he was recruited by the CIA in college and proceeded to go around destabilizing uh, countries through economic efforts and so forth, but um, overthrowing governments and so on. And uh, this is this recruitment is going on today in um, every uh, in every country. And uh, the third one is um, to know the strategy, um, and that is written by George Soros. I happened to find this in the Heathrow Airport as I was coming out of Bosnia the first time, and it's called Alchemy of Finance by George Soros, and in it is his strategy for establishing the global oil monopoly and uh, who should profit and that the huge profits, that the prices should be jacked up. Um, there is not um, a... a a deficit in oil anytime soon, but um, it is absolutely crucial to read this because he is not a philanthropist first. He's a businessman first, and of course, this entire thing that he put in is now being put into process. So then you look at things like um, the strategy then of going and blowing up places. If we just look at the latest one with Lebanon, the, f the price tag to rebuild Lebanon now is $5 billion conservatively. And this was, the excuse was two young soldiers were kidnapped um, or captured. And uh, so this was an excuse in my humble estimation. And uh, so this poor country, this country again has been brought to its knees and obliterated and over uh, 1,200 people killed. Uh, more people dying because of these um, uh, munitions that um, Israel dumped on them at the last minute also. And um, so who is going to make the money with that? Um, if you look at Iraq, I'm totally convinced that dividing up Iraq into three parts has been the um, strategy from the very beginning. Um, has anybody noticed that the perpetrator of 911, supposedly, um, bin Laden, is still running around loose? And has anybody caught him? I don't think they want to catch him, if he's even alive, because if they catch him, then the excuse will disappear and we'll have to stop this insanity of robbing our children of their futures, of robbing our countries, of um, the resources, and so forth. Well, you know, um, those uh, hard facts are, you know, bring home a truth to me, too, that um, we're all global citizens, and here in Canada, we are citizens. There is a, you met Selma Siddiqui just before the show mm -hmm. started, and um, we're with the Circle of Canadians. Where we we were, we're global citizens, but we have a value system. And as an American that's been around the world, it'd be interesting for you to comment about Canada's role as it's seen. Um, we are having our annual dinner on November first for Circle of Canadians about. When you come here, we have to have another common ground, which is to be global citizens first. And we have our diversity, but it should enrich us. As the as the native leader said, each culture should be a, is a flower. One day the world should be a beautiful bouquet. Um, I wonder, if Beverly, if you would like to uh, give some observations on Canada's role, how it was, how you see it now. Uh, take a couple of minutes on that, and then I'm going to go around to get some vision statements from our other guests. We'll end up with you. Well, I'd be happy to. I have the highest regard for Canada. As I said, I've seen um, the, some of the Canadian military um, in action in the war zones, with the exception of Colonel McKenzie and the rape um, things that were happening with um, that group. But I just extraordinary as peace. Uh, peacemakers, peacekeepers who really um, understand the mission. I'm sorry to see that that mission has kind of gone into war making and killing and so forth and seeing these terrible consequences. Um, I um, have uh, was here five years ago actually when um, 
uh, Jeremy and um, some colleagues, we were at this international conference on um, uh, helping um, children internationally. And I brought the children's peace quilt and so forth. General Romeo Dallaire was the keynote speaker. And I got to meet um, wonderful people who are doing extraordinary programs around the world, these wonderful internship programs that you have where young people um, actually go out in the field and get to meet people around the world, but also to help. And um, I also um, seen um, the same kind of thing in um, uh, where I am in Washington. If you want to make a difference, be at the epicenter. And um, so I just encourage um, uh, Canada to um, really look at the part that has been played, that has been such of high, the highest good, and to please, please. Um, I know you're only 32 million people, but you know you're really two, 32 million people with an extraordinary consciousness. Um, I've also been very blessed to know Grandfather William Commanda um, for the last 12 years. The Algonquin elder here at all. Yes, Ottawa. yes. I was very blessed to go see him again um, on Tuesday. And so, um, you know, you all model such excellent things on a global level. Um, and I uh, encourage you to stand up and speak out um, because um, uh, uh, Americans and other people need to hear it too. That's, that's true. And you know, and we need a, a we need a voice among the echoes in the world. And Canada's absolutely. voice, uh, absolutely. You know, we don't want to be starting to be like a parrot. No. Uh, and when you when you when you talk like that, you know, not long ago, the president of the, of the Ottawa Jewish Federation was on by phone. Um, then talked about his Lebanese neighbor and things that um, they do together. And, you know, remember the, the citizens in all countries, including Israel and all the countries of the world, they're all trusting their leadership to take us down to path. And all of them are hurt and maimed. And it's finding a place for the cooperators to meet. And I'm wondering if I can go back in a circle here, Case Ganim, uh, on some comments. We have um, a, f- uh, a few minutes left. And if you want to take a couple minutes, um, uh, case to uh, some vision statement. I know that you have a sense of hope of what individuals could do to make a difference. Um, some of the principles you work from, I know it's very frustrating sometimes. I like to think that we should take the irritation in our shell, make a pearl out of it, like the um, like it's done with the with an animal. Um, and I'm wondering, case, if you want to uh, put a vision statement from your view for, on these principles. Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Beverly for uh, her flattering words about Canadians. I think uh, this has uh, certainly been uh, true uh, in the past, and uh, but I would like to add that uh, things are changing for the worse, you know, uh, with the uh, recent government that we have. And I'm very sad about that. Um, I uh, feel that individually we should uh, try to do our best to uh, foster good relationships amongst people, uh, even those who uh, initially mistrust each other and i hope that i have done something towards that by uh, initiating uh, a dialogue group between uh, jews and arabs in the city and i am also hoping that the program that i will start on the 6th of october with gary michaels of uh, interviewing different ethnic communities will exactly foster exactly that because it would be wonderful if uh, canadians for example listen to a uh, show about the Irish and get to know their background, what where they're coming from, what they represent, what their culture is all about, and what uh, you know what, what their contributions are to uh, Canadian society. And then for the Irish in turn to listen to see, hear what the Indonesians are doing in uh, in Canada, who have immigrated to Canada, and by breaking down these barriers, we are going to form a uh, mosaic of. Uh, nations, uh, people who understand each other, who therefore do not uh, sus- are not suspicious of each other, and uh, that's how we will bring uh, peace to this country and hopefully through this kind of example to the rest of the world. And you know, interestingly, uh, Case and Ernie and our guests uh, Beverly and Jeremy, uh, with the uh, initial uh, kickoff program that Case will be co-hosting with me on Chin, it happens to 
occur on the Thanksgiving weekend, believe it or not. So and we certainly do have an awful lot to be thankful for, and I think it's Indeed. wonderful that uh, the show kicks off on Friday the 6th. It's That's wonderful. wonderful. You know, the attitude of gratitude is key, and you ask someone who knows how to complain a lot to break down what they should be grateful for. They complain the list is too long. There's a true complainer. And uh, I just thought of the animal. It's an oyster that takes the irritation show, makes a pearl of it. And I was thinking, Beverly, when we were talking earlier about we each have moments in life, and you look at someone like Steve Irwin and his great life, and he had a whole world ahead of him in one split second, a stingray that he didn't bother, just hits him, not in the leg, in the arm, just right, and it's over in that moment, and his spirit is is with us forever in the legacy, but it's to live for that moment that we can leave on. And in this moment, Jeremy, uh, we do have two or three minutes to uh, hear your uh, thoughts on it, some vision or comments you have that you can leave with our listeners. And then, Beverly, I'm going to ask you to... Uh, to wrap up and you you know you can talk to your international audience and maybe speak about inter, that interfaith group it's a wonderful thing if any of them are listening in thank you very much and uh, so Jeremy please if you would yeah I'd like to go back to my remark about uh, Yogi Berra when you come to a fork in the road take it because I think we are at that fork uh, one if we continue on the road that we're on the power and greed will I think it's taking us to the edge of oblivion and I think it's time that we started getting really ser- serious about survival and our children's interests. So that's one thing. Now, a lot of people feel that they're quite helpless at that. It's the situation is too big. I don't agree. I think Canada is a magnificent place. Uh, we have a long tradition of multiculturalism. We know how to live together because basically we live together. Uh, not maybe perfectly, but we're 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 on that track. And so... If you think, I, I like to think of us all as raindrops that come down, and uh, uh, I think it's time that as raindrops we can do what each of us can, but the power when we get together and form a lake of new consciousness, which is driven by love and not by greed, which waters the, uh, uh, the fields and the environment and relationships and helps them grow and prosper, uh, that's a magnificent road. It's, uh, we can create viable uh, sustainable communities which are safe for families and children and sustain us into the future, self-sufficiency and so on. We can do this. We just have to decide to do it. And so my, my, my message of hope and my, message, my plea is let us all get together in the next while and see what we can do because we can no longer afford to leave it to them. Thank you very much. And uh, to move beyond fear to love, we have a couple, two minutes left, uh, Beverly, and uh, if you would... Um say what's your, your move to say for our listeners here and abroad. Well, I thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And you're talking about United Religions Initiative, of which I am a founding member, and we started in 1996. And um, it is a collection of people who are committed to building peace around the world. And in 10 years, it has gone from a nucleus of 50 people to 260 cooperation circles in over 80 countries. And um, I'm just sending um, uh, love and blessings to all who are listening. I was searching for a group that would be devoted to this because we to to actively take it um, to walk the talk um, on the path to peace. And um, I wrote this um, uh, 11 years ago, and I'd just like to end with this. Our own voices are capable of carrying the harmony across all lines and distances, independent of governments and formalized structures. Whoever, wherever we are, we can participate, we can lead, we can negotiate, we can resolve, we can cooperate. Ultimately, reason and love can prevail over bias and fear. Well, that's wonderful. Doesn't it take us back to that story we read as kids? I can, I can, I can. The train that has to go up the hill. Yes. And, uh, yes. That, um, we have to try. That's a wonderful thing in terms of uh, Gary, as in this, um, it's inspiring. You know, it's, Always uh, is, Ernie. And uh, thanks to Beverly, Jeremy, and. Uh, Case, thank you for spending the time with us, and I think Ernie has a few words well, to I just wanted up. to clarify when I said that uh, these comments are going abroad, I include men and women in that comment, eh? so this yes. show is for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, same time, same station for Cross-Cultural Talk with Ernie Tannis, Gary Michaels on ADR. Thanks, we Case thank Case Ganneman, safe trip, Indeed. and Jeremy Wright and Beverly Britton.